Welcome to The Naked Truth, real talk about West Coast Swing. My name is Eric, and today I'm going to share a few different conversations about how the coronavirus outbreak is affecting our dance events. But first, I want to share another story I received recently from one of my former students in the San Francisco Bay Area, Becky Carranza. Becky lives in the North Bay and is a student at WNY run by Yeni Satiawan and Warren Pino. Here's what Becky had to say about her experience during this time. I live alone with my two cats in a remote area beyond the town, renting from my brother-in-law and sister on 40 acres of wooded land. It's very secluded and easy to shelter in place. I had been dancing five nights per week and loving every moment. I often felt like I wanted to soak all the dance opportunities in because I never knew when it might end for me. I'm not giving up yet either. Thank goodness I am still employed. It is tough, however, because my line of work is not easy to do remotely. I'm a pharmaceutical rep calling on psychiatrists. Many of them are now working remotely and not taking phone calls from reps. For the most part, I'm good. My days are filled with work during the day, online dance at night, and never-ending things to do around the house and property. However, I worry about others around me. My daughter is pregnant, due in August. She and her boyfriend are both in the restaurant business and have been furloughed. My granddaughter is also a server and out of work. So many people in the same boat. I worry for all of our beloved dance professionals. I can't even imagine how scary this is for them. I have friends that work at MGM in Las Vegas and very nervous about what will happen if that whole city doesn't open soon. Yes, this virus is scary, but the economic impact is even more scary to me. I pray every day that this will end soon. I've had ambitions since day one to continue dancing even if I'm alone. Very thankful to all the opportunities available to us. At first, it was overwhelming and confusing. I have a routine for myself now that I have stuck to every day. I set my alarm to get up early. I do my regular exercises in the morning, then my long list of techniques I have picked up from the virtual classes. It takes me about 45 minutes. I put a checklist together on a spreadsheet to keep me on track. Some of the classes I take are free and some I pay for. For the ones I pay for, I feel it's very worth it and would have been money I spent on weekly or daily classes and dances anyway. Here are the online classes I'm doing. Yenny at WNY every Tuesday with a Wednesday Q&A. Brian B. West Coast Swing Online every day except Sunday. Robert Royston every Sunday. Our Dance Global by Tashina and Cameo events through June. Line Dance with Joan and Brenda every Monday and Friday night. And now Kyle and Sarah every Wednesday during lunch hour. I have a calendar set to keep me on track. I know it sounds like a lot, but I'm not moving nearly as much as I did in the past. I don't want to lose the momentum. It's really helping me as well. My balance is improving, and I'm able to take great notes when I could never keep up with a notebook before. I hope my dance friends come back when we are finally able to get on the floor. A few of us are meeting on Zoom for happy hour on Saturday, and we go through periods of texting each other. I find myself on Facebook way more than I ever was before. I have friends that like to post cute, fun things that help lift our spirits. I'm not giving up hope. This too shall pass. Thank you, Becky, for sharing your experience with our listeners. And I'm glad to hear you're making the most of the situation and doing a lot to stay engaged with dance. As a reminder, you too can submit your pandemic experience to the show by leaving me a voice message on my Google Voice account at 1-510-545-3173 or by going to thenakedtruthwcs.com slash COVID to send me a written message. Whether you leave a voicemail or send me a message, please tell me your name, your location, what your situation is, how you're feeling, and how you're managing your relationship with dance during this period. I'll share other stories as they come in, so please send in yours. 
Hopefully hearing others' stories will help us all feel a little less alone during this time and maybe help us find new ways to cope and adapt. Turning to today's episode, I had the chance recently to chat with three different event directors about how they have been or might be affected by this pandemic. The first conversation I'm going to share is actually the most recent one I had. I wanted to chat with someone who had to make the decision to cancel their event to better understand what the decision-making process looks like and how it affects the event director, both emotionally and in terms of how they think of their event. So I reached out to Lauren Wood, the event director for All-Star Swing Jam in Concord, California, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Lauren lives with her partner, Raymond Bion, who is a locally and nationally recognized DJ. You'll hear us talk briefly about him and the recent gig he did for Mission City Swing earlier this month. I was hired for this event this year, which was scheduled for March 13th to 15th, the week after Mad Jam. That week, however, the outbreak worsened in the Bay Area. San Francisco and the areas along the Bay had already canceled large gatherings the week before, and then a few days before the event, Contra Costa County also prohibited large gatherings. Lauren was bound to her hotel and her commitments to her staff, but she was able to work something out, as she'll explain in a moment, and she canceled the event the day before it was supposed to start. In addition to asking her about her decision to cancel, I also asked her about her current relationship with dance, what she has planned for the future, and how she thinks other events will be affected. So here now is my conversation with Lauren Wood. Lauren Wood, welcome to The Naked Truth. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. How are you doing and how has this pandemic affected you? Uh, we're very lucky that uh, we're escaping pretty much the most of the of the hassles of all of this. Uh, you know, we commute quite a bit, um, up to two hours each way each day. So it's really actually kind of a nice time saver for us that we're staying at home and working fully from home right now. Yeah, it's not too bad to be able to roll out of bed and go to work. Yes, it's kind of a nice benefit for the time being. <laughs> I miss being out in the in the busy city and in the office, but uh, you know, take advantage while you can and and look for the good side of things. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what's your relationship been with dance during this time? Are you still motivated to dance? Do you and Ray dance at all? Uh, actually, we were just talking the other night about how we should uh, clear some space in the garage and and start warming up and practicing again. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the you know the last couple months, we've actually just enjoyed being at home and and having a break um that's you know it's an enforced one but take advantage while you can and uh we've been doing yard work and house projects but we definitely keep our our ears in on what's going on with the community and that kind of thing and obviously i'm still on the um boogie by the bay community and that uh works all year long so Mm -hmm. on their planning and then uh kind of keeping an eye out of what we're going to do with uh swing jam in the future right has Ray been doing any virtual DJing? Uh, he's actually scheduled to next week on uh, Wednesday, I think it is. For Mission City Swing. I think he's doing it for Mission City is what I heard. Yeah, awesome. That's great. Mm-hmm. So All-Star Swing Jam, your event that was supposed mm-hmm. to take place in March. And this year was going to be the first year it was going to be WSDC sanctioned. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, this was our first pointed year. And I was supposed to be going to that event. I was looking forward to going back to California and seeing you and all my friends out there. Uh, and you had to make the difficult decision to close mm-hmm. at the last minute. And in fact, you were the week after Mad Jam. Literally days after Mad Jam ended. Right. So here you are, you're watching Mad Jam happen. 
and mm-hmm. you had to make the decision to close. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what was happening at that time and how you arrived at the decision to cancel the event this year? Sure. So yeah, I had been in contact with um, April from Chicago Classic, Kay from uh, Mad Jam, and we'd been chatting for a couple of weeks watching the situation and um, talking about different options and what the events were going to be able to do on site to you know, mitigate any concerns or risks or any of that kind of thing for our attendees. And so definitely was talking to Kay throughout her event. Things went really well. She said it was one of the healthiest crowds she'd ever seen because people were really careful about not going to a convention while they were sick this time, right. which was I think a really welcome change in behaviors, but you know, we saw just over the days that was about the the time that it really started to hit hard here in the Bay area, as well as up in Seattle. And we became a hotspot and uh, it was just something we had to watch every single day. Look at all the news. You know, I was trying not to say anything because I had no idea what was going to happen and didn't want to discourage people if we were still going to hold the event, but also didn't want to encourage people if we were going to have to cancel. So it really just it makes that so stressful trying to figure out what is what is the right path forward, because obviously, you know, the the safety of the attendees is paramount, but so you know, we have a lot of contracts and things that we're held to. And, you know, there's only so much we can do to get out of those things. So mm-hmm. we had to wait for our county that the event is actually held in to declare all uh, large events canceled. And that did not come until uh, I want to say it was Wednesday or Thursday morning. I think it was Wednesday morning before our event. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we already had people who were canceling. Uh, we had staff that were no longer able to attend because they were in, you know, high risk situations. And so we were just kind of like going with it and saying, what are we going to do? How do we fix each problem as it comes up? And then finally, when that cancellation happened, I called our hotel and just said, okay, at what point does the force majeure clause in our contract happen? And they took a look at our hotel numbers and we had dropped about 75% of our hotel bookings uh, in about five days. And they, at that point said, you know what, we understand, we know what's going on. We saw the the orders. Yeah, we're going to let you, let you out of the contract for this year. We'll hold it over for next year. And we said, okay, if, if that's what you're willing to do, then that's the decision we're, we're definitely going to follow through with because we don't feel it would be a good event anymore. Just trying to, to piece together what was left. And it just, you know, there were too many risks and too many people worried about it. And, you know, we don't want to get anybody sick. We don't want anything to happen. I certainly wouldn't ever want to hold an event that, you know, suddenly became a spreading point. So as soon as we were legally allowed to cancel, we made that decision to do so. Yeah. What did it feel like that week, you know, the stress of making it happen and then actually making the decision? What was that experience like? I am really glad that I had chosen to work at home so that I would have some extra time for uh, packing and that kind of thing that week because I was so unable to concentrate on anything else besides the next news story and what was going on. And it was just, okay, what's the, what's the next piece of information we're going to get? What's the next progress report, which way are things going to turn? And it was, it was right in that like two weeks that everything was kind of really changing hour by hour. And it was everybody's hotspot news story. Uh, And so it was just terrifying. Um, And, Honestly, when the when we finally made the decision, it was actually a bit of a relief 
Um, you know, I had my like three minutes to cry and then it was back on the phone, calling everybody, canceling reservations, getting flights refunded, making sure that everybody was aware and knew so that we didn't end up with people who showed up to the event. You know, it was, it was all those pieces. It was contacting every single vendor that we had, every single staff member we had and letting them know how we were going to handle it, deciding how we were going to handle it in the first place deciding really quick, are we going to bring back all of our staff next year? You know, for most events, that would be a very easy decision. But our event is a little different that we only hire all stars. And a lot of our staff graduate out of our event every year, and we bring in new staff. And we know that a number of our staff this year are probably going to move into a bracket that we wouldn't normally hire from. And we, you know, had to very quickly decide what what do we want to do about that uh, situation? And we decided just, you know what, we're going to be like everybody else. We're just going to keep on with our staff from this year. We were really excited to have every single one of them. So it's not going to hurt us to keep them in any way, shape or form, thankfully. Right. Well, given that events are going to be canceled for a long time, I don't know that they will graduate out of it between now and next year. (laughs) When we made the decision, we figured this was only going to be for two or three weeks. And now we're going into months looking at, you know, potentially as long as a year. So, you know, we didn't get to make the decision with the information, but it's I'm not going to say it worked out in our favor, but it's it's just is what it is. And we're trying to make the best of it. For sure. So you are going to have the same staff, you have the same hotel for next year. And I know you made the decision to kind of hold people's passes and and hold their spot at the event for next year. What are you expecting for next year? Are there any concerns that you have about holding the event next year? I mean, this is assuming, of course, that, you know, it's possible to do that again. But what are the considerations that you're thinking about? And how are you preparing? Sure. So I think, This situation that we've all found ourselves in is really going to change dance events going forward. And I think there's going to be a lot of policy changes across the board. Um, Some of the things that I'm looking at are, you know, more stringent rules about whether or not you can attend if you're sick, you know, making sure that things happen like hand washing more often. You know, these are good habits to get into no matter what. Mm -hmm. Um, So we may do some things that make that more reasonable and, Depending on the situations at that time, you know, there may be events are allowed, but only of a certain size. And if so, we may have to go to a partially online event or maybe we look at including online going forward all the time. Everything's kind of still on the table at this point. And this is made for a really interesting opportunity to try new things because you don't have any other option. Uh, and maybe some good things will come out of that. And I'm, I'm really hoping that that's the case. It's still early to be planning for next March. And, you know, everything that we would normally happen is already planned. So I'm just kind of letting things rest and watching what happens and hoping that we can come back with a full event next year. Because we were really excited about some of the things we had going on. Yeah. Do you have any concerns about decreased attendance next year? I mean, I know you know, people who are registered for this year will have a pass next year, but it seems like there may be concerns about either financial concerns or people just afraid to go back to dancing. Is that a consideration? Absolutely. You know, no event director gets in this to make money. Mm -hmm. Um, We generally lose quite a lot of money on this. It's absolutely a labor of love. Um, And that's, you know, we just kind of have to hope um, and hope that we can come up with other options that, meet people's needs 
while still going along with what they have the most concern with and and making sure that we're aware of that and addressing those kinds of things. So, you know, if we have still a lot of cases and a lot of worries about social distancing, then if we can have the event, we may look at more solo classes. We may look at limiting uh, class size. We may look at seeing if, depending on the, the culture of you know, the entire country, whether or not we can change certain contracts with the hotel on room blocks or, you know, we just don't know what's going to happen yet. There's so many different things that that come together to to make this an event uh, and each piece will have to be looked at. Yeah. How do you think this outbreak will change the landscape of events over the next year or two? I think every single event is looking at you know, this whole experience with some fear of what's going to happen. And I'm, I'm definitely worried if any of them are going to, you know, not be able to come back in future years. I'm really hoping that every dancer will step up and support events in any way that they can and that they feel comfortable doing so. I'm going to, you know, certainly encourage more events to look at online options and ways to involve people who can't necessarily travel to specific areas, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, they're they're saying things like New Zealand is not going to open their borders anytime soon. But, you know, if there's an event there or a workshop weekend, then maybe they come up with a way to, you know, stream live out to the world so that we can still find some ways of interacting with each other. Yeah, I think that's really creative. Well, I'm hopeful that events will return and eventually recover. I do think it'll take some time. Like you said, you're thinking through these scenarios of what if we have some social distancing, but, you know, we still haven't found a vaccine, for instance. We don't really know how long this is going to go on. It could be a year, it could be longer. Yeah. But I think, you know, some of the ideas you're you're thinking through, I know I've spoken with others about that. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. You know, eventually people want to dance. They will go back to it. And our scene will recover. So despite all of the not great things that are happening right now, what gives you hope? What gives you optimism in this time? You know, I absolutely love all of the dance videos that I see and uh, the amount of reaching out that people are doing in the community. You know, little things like Matt Ritchie posting his going on dance walks every day. I look for those in my newsfeed every day because they make me so happy to watch. And, you know, Jordan Frisbee and Larissa, they just posted this beautiful video of dancing in their kitchen. And I'll fully admit that I had to watch it three times because it took me two. <laughs> of staring at the kitchen before I could actually watch the dance. It's a beautiful kitchen. It's a beautiful kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) But those kinds of things and seeing people really coming out of their boxes to find ways to be creative that they wouldn't have otherwise tried is just amazing to see. And I'm really excited to see what ways we can do to encourage that once we are all back together, that those kinds of things still keep happening. That's great. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me, for sharing your experience, because I think a lot of events are going through that. Probably not as many events are going through it with as much uncertainty as you did, because (laughs) now people are making the decision, like during the the outbreak, the pandemic, we know what's going on. They're getting three to four weeks of notice and we got, you know, three to four hours. (laughs) Right, exactly. So yeah, I appreciate that because I want people to understand those kinds of decisions and what people have to go through. Because like you said, people don't go into this to make money. It is a financial risk and having to cancel an event is a really big deal. 
not just for the community, but for those who put on the event. There's a lot of moving pieces and a lot of community that comes together to put these on and trying to coordinate all those things in sudden changes is very difficult and, you know, very hard for a lot of people that are very excited about what they do. And they lose a lot by not getting to be here. There are so many instructors that were just, you know, heartbroken that they didn't get to be here to share the experience. And, you know, a lot of people who are losing their livings by this. uh, And that's, you know, just as terrifying, if not more so than what I went through with canceling an event that, you know, this is something that I may have put my heart and soul into and I love, but my financial future right now doesn't depend on it. Mm-hmm. It can be hurt by it, but it, it is, doesn't depend on it. And seeing all those staff members that we had to say, I'm sorry, we, we can't put this on and have them lose potential, you know, their, their futures there is really, really hard. Absolutely. Again, I appreciate you sort of taking the lead in some of this decision-making and really thinking ahead and and looking out for the best interests of our community. I think it's super important. And as one of those staff members, I was actually kind of relieved. (laughs) Um, I know it was a difficult (laughs) choice and I wanted to go, but I think it really is the best thing for the community. And I I know it was really difficult for you. So I'm grateful for you uh, really being thoughtful about that. I'm glad to hear that that it it was a relief too. You know, just that's uh, the hardest part was telling the staff. I think that was absolutely the hardest part. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't worried because, you know, all I had to do was cancel a flight. Mm-hmm. You know, that was all I had to do. And and all the airlines were giving credit anyway. So I wasn't worried about that. You know, it was more of the loss of the event itself. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy that event. I think you do a great job supporting the community. Thank you. And making a really fun and uh, learning and community-oriented event. So I'm sure next year people will want to come back to that because we had such a great time the last two years. So... I encourage others to check it out too. Just as soon as we're allowed, I can't wait to be back. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Thanks again for taking the time and be well. And hopefully I'll talk to you again soon. Yes, my pleasure. And good to see you too. I was sad not to be returning to my former dance home and to not be attending a fun event, but I was personally relieved not to go to a hotspot for the virus. I know the decision was very difficult and stressful for Lauren, especially with mounting pressure and anxiety coming from the community as the disease spread in California, but she made the right one for everyone. As she noted, other events will have more time to prepare to cancel, though they may not be able to cancel until the last minute, given their hotel contracts and the unpredictability and uncertainty of the future during this public health crisis. This is something the other event directors I spoke with also addressed. Next up is a conversation I had with Dirk Haga event director for three events, the Bavarian Open, which takes place in September, Berlin Swing Revolution, which takes place in December, and Unicorn Swing, which takes place at the end of January, and was one of the last events to take place in Europe before things began shutting down in response to the pandemic. The Bavarian Open takes place in Munich the week before Oktoberfest, and German officials had announced that Oktoberfest would be canceled just days before our conversation. Dirk spoke candidly about his situation in Munich, his thinking about how the current situation will affect his events later this year, and how his events and others in Europe might change as a result. Here now is my conversation with Dirk Hagen. Dirk, welcome to The Naked Truth. Great to have you on the show. I wish it was better circumstances, but good to speak with you. Hello, and hello, everyone. How are you doing, and how has this pandemic affected you in Munich, Germany? Well, for one thing, the first 
stuff that happened was that all the local dances and local um, happenings were canceled. Mm -hmm. uh, so even before a lockdown, there was not much to do anymore, right. uh, except staying at home. Um, but otherwise, it's been a actually pretty quiet time, a uh, little bit more time to relax and uh, think about life and yourself and um, enjoy the spring weather we have in Munich right now. Yes. And you had mentioned that you, you're already kind of a remote worker. So this hasn't been a big change for your work life. Is that right? Yes. So I, I worked already about 50% of my time remotely. Um, now it's 100%. Uh, that basically gives me a normal day. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm lucky enough to have a office close to my apartment where I can work on my own. So I don't have to sit in the same place 24-7, which is actually pretty nice and reduces a little bit the the feeling of being locked in. Yes. How are you managing your relationship with dance during this time? Are you doing any of the virtual opportunities? Are you not dancing? Do you miss it? I miss dancing. I recently worked through a little bit of a dance down uh, and the beginning of this year helped me out of it. So this lockdown came at the most inconvenient time for me dancing wise. I am doing a lot of solo training, workouts, uh, practicing at home for one thing. And then I use the option that you are allowed to meet one person for sports to get a little bit of dancing in once in a while. Mm -hmm. But it is not the same to dance for like an hour with the same person um, compared to have the option of different dances and different people um, to progress. It still helps, still keeps me happy enough to not uh, completely miss dancing and completely go into a, a feeling of I, I will never dance again, right. which I talk to friends is a feeling that some of them have, mm -hmm. but it's still just a small thing compared to what I'm used to. And how is the Munich community doing? We have some some chat groups and we have some uh, video calls once in a while where we like talk. Uh, Dancing-wise, there's basically nothing happening right now. There's a lot of online offers from teachers all over the world. So everybody is individually doing things. Yeah. But as a community... We're more talking and uh, keeping each other informed how it is and maybe showing some some classes we found online to let people know that this class was really good or something like that. Yes. Well, I think that's a really important part during this time because like you said, there are a lot of online learning opportunities, but it's the connections between people that's really important to sustain right now. Yes. It it feels it feels good to to have like this uh, exchange going on, keeping keeping this uh, active, uh, even though we're not dancing and, and seeing each other at the moment. Right. And how is the situation in Germany at this point? 
Um, in general, everybody is applying um, the the carefulness uh, that they're supposed to be uh, doing the warmer days. It's a little bit difficult because people want to go outside, but uh, they keep the distance in the parks and everywhere. Um, we are slowly opening uh, stores again. Mm. So today is one day where they, for one thing, introduced the, um, the wearing of masks. Uh, as mandatory and at the same time opened stores that are not essential so now you actually can buy a new t-shirt or some stuff like that which right. you couldn't for the last eight weeks yeah interesting how has this pandemic affected planning and preparation for your events in the fall you run the bavarian open in september right before Oktoberfest. And you run Berlin Swing Revolution the second weekend of December. What is your thinking right now? And what are you considering for those events later this year? So if we start, I would start with the latter one, um, because uh, that one is easier to talk about right now. Uh, we did not yet plan anything for Berlin. Mm -hmm. Same goes for the one next January, Unicorn Swing, uh, which... It makes it really difficult right now to plan for those events uh, since we don't know when any of this will change. Right, uh, right now in Berlin, um, no, in all of Germany, events uh, are canceled until end of August. Mm -hmm. um, every type of event with people, more than 1,000 people. Um, in Berlin, it's even until October. Okay. So right now... It's not clear when we are able to have events again. Sure, the events are not 1,000 people, but um, right now everything is not allowed uh, and we don't have a plan right now when they're starting to open for smaller events again. So for now, we are keeping those two events on hold mm -hmm. and waiting a little bit until we have better knowledge of how we can have events and how we would organize them. For Bavarian Open, that's a little bit more difficult. We already started the registration um, end of last year. Uh, we already had a few people sign up for it uh, before all of this happened. And right now we are in kind of a limbo between canceling and not canceling because everything until end of August is already canceled. So there's only 10 days between that deadline and our event. Um, but at the same time, since we already had costs and everything, it's really difficult to just say, okay, let's cancel it. Mm -hmm. So right now we're waiting a little bit longer, I guess I would say until June more or less to see what the plan of our um, leaders is and how we can adapt those rules into the event. Right. And then we would um, make a decision based on that. Right now, um, we would say it's more likely that it gets canceled, um, but we are still having a little bit of hope that we might have maybe a smaller version of it or kind of a... Um, social version of it we don't know yet right what sort of attendance have you gotten for the bavarian open over the last couple of years so the event is normally around 500 people mm -hmm. plus minus a little bit um growing about 
50 to 60 people each year. So the years before were a little bit smaller, but last year we were around 500. Right. So that would definitely be one of the larger events. <laughs> yes. Does it concern you at all that Oktoberfest was recently canceled? Um, so it was recently officially canceled, but honestly, everybody was already expecting that. It was just like they were holding out a little bit. Um, the Oktoberfest needs a lot of time to be prepared. Um, they normally start in June to build up the whole tents and everything. Mm -hmm. So with this, um, they need a decision now because they now have to make the plans. Um, the breweries have to plan for how many beer they have, how much beer they have to um, brew and everything. So it was unavoidable that they have a decision now. And with the current situation, it would have not been another decision possible. So everybody in Munich already knew it would be canceled, even though it was not official yet. Yeah. How much planning time do you need for things like Berlin Swing Revolution and Unicorn? At what point would you have to start planning for that? So we showed last year um, that it would be enough to have a venue ready in September, which is three months before the event. But that was really tough and also um, created a little less attendance than the years before. Mm -hmm. So I would call this kind of a minimum right. to be able to plan. It might be that because there's so many events being canceled that there's uh, a higher um, attendance rate for events later this year, but this is still something we don't want actually to count on. Right. So three months would be like a good, three to four months would be like the lowest we would go. Yeah, that makes sense. So whether your events happen this year or next year, are there any changes that you're considering for your events? Is there anything you would do differently when the, the events resume to make people feel safe and comfortable, especially if this pandemic is still ongoing? So the, the only thing I think we really can do as event directors is create um, everything or provide everything that is needed for every participant to take care of their own hygiene and everything themselves. Mm -hmm. We can't run around checking 500 people after every dance or something. Right. That is nothing that is possible. Uh, so what we would actually do is we would extend uh, the amount of um, disinfectant we provide, uh, probably have it not only at the entrances, but around the dance floor to have like a little bit more visibility mm -hmm. and um, have MCs announce to take care of that more often during the weekends. Uh, they normally announce it like once or twice a day, but that would be more like something like every half an hour, remind people, hey, guys, remember, wash your hands yeah. and, and stuff like that. Because in the end, the only person who can make sure it's a safe environment is everyone themselves. Mm -hmm. And hopefully everybody at an event will help with that so we can all feel safe. Right. Are there any other more permanent changes that you might consider just has this pandemic made you rethink running events in any way? 
Um, one thing we we kind of expect for the next time is that uh, each participant has to be contactable. Like we, we need a contact information for every participant. So in a case that there is someone who gets sick, mm -hmm. we are able to inform everyone afterwards. Um, I kind of expect that to become a requirement for larger events. Yeah. Uh, at least for the time being, um, just so they are easily tracked down and be put like being tested, uh, maybe put in quarantine and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, that is one thing. Um, the other thing that might happen for the unforeseeable time is that we have to reduce the size of our events. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I know there's a lot of events in Europe that are already not that big with like 200 people 250 people but i could imagine that we start first with even smaller ones like 50 people or 100 people more smaller low more local events to test out how it works how it feels and then start growing them slowly right do you have any concerns running events because of the international composition of your events so for instance if germany says we can hold events of you know 200 300 people and you say great i can hold my event but you're going to have so many people from say italy and maybe italy's not ready or poland or what have you does that make sense yes uh that is the the second part we are thinking about even if if we would be allowed to have the event even with the full amount of people let's say 500 people um, we still have to consider are people are allowed to travel to Germany. Mm -hmm. um, so are they allowed to travel outside of their country? Are they allowed to come into Germany? Um, that is that is also something that we have to keep in mind uh, when we start planning. Mm -hmm. Because if we are planning with people to attend, um, we normally expect half of the participants to not be from germany right and with the current travel restrictions we are basically not able to have anyone here from outside of germany right how do you think this outbreak might change dance events in the long run or change the landscape of dance events particularly in europe to be honest i haven't thought that much ahead for now uh i'm i'm very aware that we're probably not going back to exactly where we were before mm -hmm. as a society in general, not just for dance events. I would not like to see events being restricted to local events or having restrictions put up on dancers that we can only dance with like a set of people um, and not allowed to switch like we do. Uh, this would be really sad for especially our community where um, dancing with everyone is such an important part of it. And also this community has shown that internationally we can all have a very good time together. So this is this would be very sad to, to go. Mm -hmm. um, so for now, I'm hoping this is just a temporary change that slowly will go back to where we were beforehand regarding the dancing at least. Yeah. Uh, the things I actually expect that happen will happen is um, the requirements to be able to track people that attended the event, um, to make sure that people are 
healthy when they arrive. So more consistent. If you are not healthy or if you don't feel good, please stay home, um, which probably might help in the long run also to cure things like people getting sick after bigger events, which happens a lot even without coronavirus. Would you or do you think other event directors might consider changing their refund policy to encourage people to stay home if they're not feeling well? Um, this is actually something we are we are thinking about uh, in general how to how to do that. Um, it would probably mean that we extend uh, or that we we get some insurance for each ticket holder. Because the problem is, especially with um, events that are run by nonprofit organizations like our events, that we have a lot of cost and we're not making any money out of them. And if even 10 or 15 people at an event suddenly get sick and we have to give them their money back Mm -hmm. right before the event, that makes it really hard to calculate the event in itself. Right. So... This would probably mean that we add another five euros to the ticket prices to account for account for the insurance and then have an insurance company take over the cost if someone cancels. Right. But that's a pretty nominal fee. I mean, five euros is not a lot. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about how events may be negatively impacted for the foreseeable future. What gives you hope right now? That we are, at least in from what I see in Germany and Europe, following the new rules, even if we not always agree with them, and that there's still a strong democratic feeling that even though we right now have like a very strict rule set that those will not be taken like these these rights they taken away for the time being will still be there after it and we will get it back and we'll have our freedom back so it looks very much like this is going in a very consistent and democratic way right now dance wise i was very impressed when all of this started how the dance community in general and the west coast swing community especially started to work together there was no one actually being left out people started to like talk um, find solutions to help each other find solutions to bring what we normally do on weekends in one big place online Um, and uh, this gave me hope in that place that even though it's hard right now, the community will survive that and probably come out of it a little stronger with um, stronger connections between individuals. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dirk, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, especially with the time difference. I'm glad we were able to work out a time to chat and for sharing your perspective, both as a German, because I'm always curious what's happening overseas, uh, but also as an event director. So thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Stay well, and hopefully I'll talk to you soon. Stay well, and see you soon, I hope. Same here. (laughs) 
Dirk's idea of insurance for his event is something I discussed in a previous episode, but I liked his idea of adding a small fee to the ticket price to pay for it. It seems like a good compromise between the interests of the event and the attendees. I also liked his idea of being more thorough in collecting contact information. It demonstrates an understanding of his role in supporting the community and taking responsibility for the spread of any illness that may occur at his event. One complication that distinguishes events in Europe from those here in the United States is the issue of travel restrictions. What if Germany is safe enough to hold an event, but Russia or Poland or France is not? Do you allow attendees from those countries? What if Germany prohibits entry from those countries? And how far in advance will you know what travel bans will be in place the week of your event? In the United States, there may not be travel restrictions, but event directors who live in areas where restrictions are lifted will have to think about how to monitor and manage attendance from dancers who live in hotspots where restrictions are or are not in place. What if someone in New York, where the number of cases remains high, wants to attend an event in a place that is allowed to have larger gatherings? Also, what if a city allows large gatherings but limits it to 100 or 200 people? How will event directors scale down their events and manage attendees from outside their area? I don't have any answers, but these are some of the questions that event directors will have to grapple with. For my third conversation, I sat down with Andy Bowman, co-event director of one of the biggest and most prominent events, Boogie by the Bay. Some of you may know Andy from his previous appearance on our episode about Boogie by the Bay. Boogie by the Bay takes place in early October near San Francisco, and it attracts dancers from all around the United States and the world. California was one of the first hotspots for the virus here in the United States, so I asked Andy about his experience during the shutdown. I also asked him about his thoughts on what may happen with Boogie by the Bay this year, and his views on how other events may respond. As an avid dancer, a member of NASD, and someone with years of experience in our community, he had a wealth of perspective and insights to share, all very salient and practical. So here now is my conversation with Andy Bowman. So, Andy Bowman, welcome back to The Naked Truth. Thank you for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. Hey, Eric. How are you doing during this pandemic, and how has it affected you? Well, so, you know, I I worked from home for a long time, for about 10 years, I think at least. I can't remember when I started, but quite a while ago. Um, And so being at home and working from home is not so different for me as maybe it was before. I think that I have some routines that I've been following for a long time and I'm still following those routines. So in that, in that sense, my life hasn't changed that much. What I miss is I did have part of my routines were like, you know, going for a walk, going to Phil's for uh, coffee in the morning or going out dancing at night, you know, sort of like my big physical social connection, but I'm already, you know, pretty comfortable with, working from home, meeting with people that I need to meet with uh, online. And so that really hasn't changed that much for me. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's still, it's, it's a strange time. <laughs> and yeah. I'm very aware that it's not, it's not normal, even right. though, you know, I think a lot of other people are probably, at least some of my friends and family members are struggling with, you know, being isolated um, quite a bit. So I, I haven't really felt that as much. When did the shelter in place start where you are? And when is it projected to end? So I think most people probably know the Bay Area was the first in the United States. Um, Our health people were kind of all over this very early on. Um, We're very worried about what had been happening. They were monitoring closely what had been happening in Asia and in Europe um, with with the virus spread. And so as soon as they confirmed that we had community spread in the Bay Area, meaning they didn't know, you know, where where the cases had come from. 
they started enacting more and more strict measures. So at the beginning of March, it was pretty much all large gatherings. Over 200 people or so were were banned. And then they basically said, okay, we need to get even stricter about that. And they started saying people who aren't doing non-essential stuff should stay home. And then they came out with a shelter in place orders, basically like everybody who's in a non-essential business, just go home and stop being in contact with people because we just need to stop the spread of this. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that happened, I want to say around um, the 15th of March, somewhere. I don't remember the exact day, but it was somewhere, somewhere right around there. But I mean, they had already done it. Like, I mean, we were, we were, we were kind of building up in stages to that. And then Governor Newsom of the governor of California, basically two days later after that, instituted a statewide order because they could see that it wasn't just the Bay Area, that Los Angeles and other places were getting large community spread as well and that we really needed to, to act quickly. And at the time, I think a lot of people were like, this is an overreaction. You know, this is crazy. Why are you shutting down the whole state? But I mean, looking at what's happened with the rest of the country, compared to California, I mean, I think that it was the right decision because um, our, you know, infection rates are not good, but they are certainly a lot lower than other places where they've been a lot, you know, of terrible hotspots for the, for the virus. So, I mean, even though it's hard, that's, that's what we've been all been living with. And, and I think that, um, you know, whatever people's political persuasions are, um, and I know people who are everywhere from, you know, far left of me to far right of me. <laughs> um, you know, I think most people are like understanding why we're doing this and are trying to make it work. You know, I mean, it, sci- science is, is not, does you know, it doesn't have a political, a political bias. I mean, it's, it's science and it's like, you're just like this, this virus doesn't care what you, what you believe, you know, it's just like, if it has an opportunity to jump, it's going to jump to new people, you know? Right. I don't know if our listeners know that the job that you speak of is for Kaiser Permanente, which is a large healthcare system in California and other states. How has the pandemic affected Kaiser? What's the situation like there? So, yeah, Kaiser Permanente is, is a large nonprofit um, healthcare provider. So it's not just an insurance plan. It's a, it's a provider. So we have hospitals, we have doctors. I actually don't work in the medical field. I work in, um, in IT uh, support. So, I mean, that's you know, that's what I've done. So, um, I mean, the way that it's affected us is probably not as bad as it has been in some other places. I mean, our hospitals are, we have a lot of people who have patients, but they're managing. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, I think it's because of the shelter in place orders really kind of slowed the spread enough that we're, we're able to, to manage it. So, so it's not as dire as what you're seeing on the news reports with a lot of other places where they're just overwhelmed with people, but it's still, it's very, it's very serious and people are, are, you know, there are some very, very sick people and it's, it's, it's a concern. So, you know, yeah, it's, we're, we're, we're not ready to just go back to life as before, you know, whoop to do, we beat this thing. I mean, we've got a long way to go before we're going to be at that point, I think. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that Kaiser has currently the capacity to manage and respond to the situation there. How has the pandemic affected planning and preparations for Boogie by the Bay? That's scheduled for October, but we're already seeing events right. canceled into the summer, and it's very possible that events in the fall may be canceled as well. So right. what is the current state of thinking around the event, and what changes are you considering, or are you considering cancellation? So at this point, you know, we're still six months out, so I think it's a little bit early to be making a decision about cancellation. I don't, I don't think that we can really even do that. I mean, there, there, there are certain considerations. I mean, there's obviously the most important consideration is the health situation. I mean, what, what are things going to look like in the fall? And, um, I mean, again, what I know right now is that, um, 
fundamentally, I mean, until there is um, an effective treatment, um, you know, that is has been scientifically tested and is, you know, medically accepted, or until um, there's a vaccine, there's a lot of people who are working on vaccines and trials for possible vaccines. But until we know that we have a vaccine, and until it's manufactured in large enough doses, and everybody's been vaccinated, like we do every year with the flu, I don't really see the fundamental situation changing, which is if we go back to not you know, observing strict social distancing practices that, um, you know, all it takes is one person who's infected and doesn't realize it. And they can infect, you know, a whole lot of people who can then take it to a whole bunch of other people. I mean, that's the danger of large events is that, you know, the, and, and the symptoms don't show up right away. I mean, it takes takes a couple of weeks in, in some cases, you know, before people even know that they've been infected. And, you know, if you go to a lot of different events and interact with a lot of different people in that time. Who knows how many other people you infected in contract tracing and, and, you know, trying to quarantine people who might've been infected and test them is just, it just becomes an impossible job. And that's partly why the whole social distancing thing has been, you know, implemented is because it just, it's just so hard to track this with the, with the long you know lead time where people are asymptomatic, but potentially spreaders, mm-hmm. you know, so, so my feeling in terms of, of that is that, I mean, that's the first thing is like the health situation kind of trumps everything else. I mean, you know, we obviously can't have a big dance event until it's safe to have a big dance event again. And I don't know when that's going to be. And I don't think anybody does at this point. And I mean, I've heard, you know, all kinds of different estimates um, that it could be a few months. It could be 18 months. It could be, you know, who knows how long before we have those conditions. And I really feel like, you know, we, we need to have like either effective treatment and or vaccine in order for it, it to be safe. And until we have at least one of those two things, I don't think the health officials are going to allow, allow large public events. And it's not just dance events. It's things like sporting events, you know, business conventions. I mean, any kind of large group gatherings where people could potentially spread this virus to other people. I, I don't think the health authorities are going to allow that until we have one of those two things. Right. So that's so that's sort of my thinking in terms of, you know, where we're planning for Boogie by the Bay at this point is like, we don't even know when we're going to be able to have an event. Mm-hmm. So we may be planning for this fall, you know, if by a miracle, one of those conditions is met by then. We might be planning for 2021. It might be 2022. We don't know. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and so at this point, my thinking is all we can do is, is sort of think about like when we can have an event again, what's that going to look like? Is it going to be the same as what we've done before? Or are we going to try to do the same kind of thing? Or is it going to be fundamentally different? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, one of the things that I think this virus has kind of done to all of us is it's kind of made us all examine all kinds of parts of our lives and how we have to do things differently. And some of those changes might carry over even when, you know, it's, it's safe. I mean, like I didn't used to go for daily walks, you know, and now I go for a 30 to 60 minute walk every day just to get out of the house and go down quiet streets where I'm not going to run anybody else. But, you know, I mean, I just, I cannot sit in the house all day long and never get outside. So that's something different. I may continue to do that after, after um, this is over, you know, and I've certainly gotten very adept at ordering things online that I don't have to go to a store to buy. You know, I, I don't know what that's going to do to in-person retail. You know, I mean, a lot of people are figuring out, Hey, I can, I can buy stuff and I don't have to go to a store to do it, you know, with Mm -hmm. things that I might not have done before, you know? Right. I do want to hear about some of the changes you're considering making, but I'm wondering at this point if you have been having conversations with your hotel and your staff about possibly postponing the event, or is it still too early to have those conversations? It's still too early. 
So, I mean, the the tricky thing that a lot of event directors are dealing with, and we obviously are dealing with this, is that hotel contracts typically have very big financial penalties for canceling because you've committed the space to the hotel and they haven't sold it to somebody else. And so, you know, these contracts typically say, like, you know, the closer you get to an event, the bigger the penalty. So we would owe thousands of dollars to our hotel if we just cancel on our own at this point. But this is an extraordinary time. And usually hotel contracts have a, a kind of get out of jail free card on this known as the force majeure or the acts of God clause, which you know, basically the impossibility clause. If it's impossible to hold the event, because, for example, let's say there's an earthquake and the hotel's damaged, so they can't have any guests. Or there's a terrorist action and authorities shut down the city because it's not safe. Or, you know, there's another 9-11 and no airlines are flying, so people can't get to the event. I mean, there are certain conditions under which it's impossible to hold an event. And in that case, either party can cancel with no financial penalty because it's impossible to hold an event. But, you know, I think that the difficulty that a lot of events have had is that until you actually know that it's impossible to hold the event, you don't really have those conditions. And so... You know, some events have had to kind of wait until their local health authorities have issued this, you know, shelter in place orders or have extended them to be able to say, okay, you know, the health authorities are saying we can't hold this event, Mm -hmm. you know. So that's sort of like the first problem is like, you know, have the conditions been met that we can get out of the contract without having to owe big financial penalties. And I mean, we have some savings, but we don't have enough money to, you know, pay thousands and thousands of dollars to a hotel for an event that we're not getting any money back from because we can't sell any tickets, you know, and nobody's coming. So that's sort of like a, a problem. And that's probably why, like, a lot of events are not canceling until closer to the event because then they actually have that situation in place. And, right. you know, we just don't know. But, I mean, realistically, I'm thinking there's a good chance we're not having an event, you know, this fall. I mean, just from what I know of how long these things take. But we can't really say that for sure until we are probably closer to the event. So if you make the decision closer to the event, that's also more last minute for staff. Are there any concerns about how close to the event you canceled? Right now, we are telling everybody we don't know if we're having an event. So it's it's not, you know, like we're holding everybody on hold right now. It's, it, you know, I mean, everybody understands the situation. Sure. I mean, it's and we're also we're not we're not going to sell any tickets. We're just not even going to do that because you know, why collect money and then have to deal with what do we do if people can't come to the event? So, you know, we're not, we're not going to sell any tickets and I I just don't know what's going to, what's going to happen, you know? And and so, so that we can't really say in in terms of when we open up again and what, what we might do there. I mean, I do think that there's going to be some profound changes to how, how events happen for a while. And maybe that's a thing that we might want to go into, Uh, but I I think that it's not going to be like business like before. What changes do you expect or do you think might happen? Well, I mean, okay, so a couple things. One is, obviously, this has not just been a health emergency. It's also an economic emergency. I mean, tons of people are getting laid off or furloughed. I mean, there's just been a whole kind of seismic shift in terms of people's financial resources, ability to travel to events. I mean, this is affecting both pros, I think, and attendees. Mm -hmm. So in the case of pros, I mean, I know a lot of pros who are really kind of struggling with what do I do now? All of my income has just evaporated. And so I've seen some people are trying to be very creative in terms of doing online course offerings or online private lessons or, you know, or promoting past things that they have like DVDs or Patreon, uh, all kinds of things like that. 
But, you know, a lot of dance professionals, I think, are really kind of struggling with that question. And I know some people who have taken other, you know, temporary or possibly even permanent alternative jobs because they got bills to pay. Yeah. You know? So I think that's going to be a shift. And I mean, and a lot of people don't remember this, but I mean, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't have a lot of people who were full-time dance professionals. Most of the people who did this, they did it as a part-time hobby kind of thing. And they had other, you know, actual sources of income. Um, it's, it's been a recent development in the, in the West Coast Wing world that we've had sort of like these traveling pros who this is their full-time income. And I think although those people have always sort of had like in the back of their mind, well, I'm one serious injury away from not being able to make any money at this, right. you know, and which has happened to some people we've known where they've had like a serious injury and then they can't teach or they can't do, they can't dance, they can't compete for months. And it's like, okay, all my income just dried up. It's been more of an individual thing as opposed to like the whole community experiencing this. But I think that's a profound thing that's probably going to change is that who's available to travel to events and how many events are willing to go to and under what conditions that uh, that I think is going to be affected mm-hmm. by this. And then there's the question of the attendees. I mean, as you know, the Bay Area is a big tech hotspot. So there are a lot of people who still have you know jobs because they can continue to work remotely. But then there are a ton of other people who have, you know, their jobs have gone away. I mean, you know, if they work in restaurants or they work in service industries or they they do other things that are considered non-essential, you know, or even some people who are doing some things that are considered essential, but their companies don't need as many people right now because they don't have the business. I mean, so there's a lot of people who are experiencing a lot of economic dislocation and hardship. And I mean, the last time we kind of saw something like this was, I think, 12 years ago in the in the Great Recession of 2008, where a ton of people, you know, lost jobs and had, you know, issues being able just to stay in their housing, you know, and, and pay the bills. And so they don't have disposable income for things like dance events. So I think that that's also going to affect in terms of what possible tenants at an event might be or how we might want to price things or what things we feel like we can offer. You know, we might want to do a model where it's a less expensive event, but we don't try to do as much and we don't maybe hire as many pros or we just plan for an event that has one third of the attendance of what we used to have. I mean, and Boogie by the Bay wasn't always as huge as it, as it has been in you know, recent years. I mean, at one time it was a much smaller event. So it's possible to do that and people can have fun at smaller events, but I, I don't know if that's going to be something that we're going to have to do. Yeah. Are there any considerations around the health and hygiene of attendees? Well, okay. So again, I think that that's going to be kind of determined by the health situation. So, I mean, you know, if there is a a vaccine that's available, then obviously I think that that would be something that we would expect is that, you know, people are not going to be coming to big dance events. We're probably not even going to be allowed to have a dance event until a vaccine has been widely distributed and, and everybody's, you know, gotten the vaccine just like with the flu shot, you know. And then if there are a few people who, for whatever reason, don't want to get the vaccine or choose not to, then we would say don't come. I mean, just like I would say to people in the height of flu season, if you haven't gotten a flu shot, you probably don't want to go to a dance event, you know. <laughs> I mean, just probably not a good idea. That's an individual choice that you have to make. And obviously, I think that, you know, we've emphasized for a long time, you know, washing your hands, blah, 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 blah. But I mean, obviously, I think people are going to be very aware of those kinds of uh, kinds of things. But I mean, I think I think the main thing is, you know, we have to know that a dance event is not a super spreader event. And the only way to know that for sure is if there's a vaccine, I think, you know, or, or something like something like that, you know, where we know that most people are. Are, are safe so that it, it's, it's okay to congregate in, a, in a, a group. Yeah. Are there any permanent changes that you think Boogie by the Bay might make in the long run as a result of this pandemic? 
So I, I don't know for sure about that, but I do know that, I mean, I look at every event like this as not just a, a crisis or a challenge, but also an opportunity to kind of rethink how we've been doing things. And I mean, not just for dancing, but also for, you know, other ways that we kind of do our lives. And, and so one of the things I've been thinking is that I've noticed, for example, in my work life, kind of unrelated to, to dance, that people feel more of a need for just straight out connection. Mm-hmm. Um, that people just want to talk and they want to, you know, like find out how you're doing, you know, I mean, they just, they need to be more connected and are kind of more mindful of that. And so I've been kind of thinking just personally how that might translate into a different way that we do events. I think that there might be more of a focus on community and connection at a dance event. And I mean, we've kind of always sort of done this sort of informally, like people see their friends and they hug and they go out to dinner together and, you know, and socialize and so forth and so forth. But it might be more of a thing and we might that might impact like a dance events weekend schedule in terms of how you schedule things. Maybe there's going to be more time or opportunities for that or maybe that's something that we're going to be thinking about. Yeah. Uh, something else that I'm aware of is that sort of an opportunity thing is that like people who local people who have had like online community building events like Zoom events or Zoom classes or whatever, they're getting people who are calling in from like all over the world. I mean, so when you have an in-person class, the only people who can go are the people who can go in person. But when you have a Zoom yoga class or a Zoom dance class or whatever it is, you can have people who used to be your students but who are now living in different places or people who you know were part of the community who couldn't be part of it for a while are now checking in. Mm-hmm. So I'm also thinking in terms of, you know, as we're doing dance events, I know we've had some things like live streaming for a while, you know, at dance events, but maybe there's also going to be more ways that we're going to be thinking about how do we have a, a component for people who want to participate virtually who can't be participate in person? And what might that look like? I mean, I don't really know, but I think that people are already kind of experimenting with that in some ways. I mean, some people have had virtual conventions already or, you know, just um, virtual watch parties, you know, where people get together online and watch dance videos together. I mean, so there are ways that this is sort of kind of organically emerging already. And I have a feeling that's going to translate into, you know, new ways that we kind of, do dance events, but I don't know really what that's going to look like yet. But I'm I'm thinking about it, and I'm sure other people are thinking about it. You know, another concern that I have with dance events opening up again is insurance liability. Because, I mean, what I've been advised is that right now, like, events like that where people are not maintaining social distance are uninsurable. Because the liability of, like, somebody getting sick because we put on an event and, and we knew the dangers, but we did it anyway... I mean, that's another whole kind of aspect to all of this that I don't know that people have really thought about. And and that's one of the reasons why I think a lot of business leaders are resisting the let's open everything up again. You know, it's all fine, you know, or or this is overblown. You know, it's like, yeah, our lawyers and our insurance people are telling us we're not covered for this. And we're we're just opening ourselves wide up to being sued up the wazoo if if we contributed to the spread of this disease when we knew better. I mean, it's one thing when you don't know better, but when you do know better and you kind of intentionally endanger people's health. How long do you think it'll be before our community recovers? I mean, given the experience that we've had with 9-11 and the recession of 2008, what do you think recovery looks like for our scene? Well, I mean, those events were a little bit different in that they were much more time specific. And then we started the road to recovery. I think the problem with this situation is that we don't even know where the recovery starts. Mm -hmm. We're not at that point yet. We're still in the middle of it. And so until we know kind of like, okay, now we're, this is the path to recovery. It's like, we know there's a vaccine. We just need to get it out to everybody. Or we know there's a treatment. We just need to make sure that there's enough of it available that if anybody gets sick, they can get treated. 
I mean, until we really kind of know what the recovery path is, I don't think we can really estimate like a timeline or, or what that's going to look like. I do think that what's going to have to happen first is I think that our local dance scenes are really going to have to kind of like recover because I think that's where it's going to start before people start, you know, heading off to weekend dance events again. I think we're going to have to have some basic kind of like community building stuff we're going to have to do in the local area. So like restarting dances like Mission City Sing, WNY, Next Gen, Two Left Feet, Do Your Own Swing, B Street Boogie. I mean, there's a whole bunch of local dances. I don't, I'm sure I haven't mentioned them all, but, you know, that that we have West Coast Swing dances where, I mean, none of those communities are having dances right now and just kind of, you know, our space is still going to be available for that. Are people still going to support that? Are there going to be enough people who are going to want to go back to dancing? Are we going to be able to bring in new people? I mean, I think that recovery is going to have to start, you know, not just there, but, you know, all over the West Coast Swing community, all over the world. I think that people are going to need to build their local communities. And then once that happens and people start getting employed again and having disposable income, then I think more people will be able to start going to weekend dance events again. But I think it's going to be a it's going to be a process and it's going to take a while. And we all need to be very kind of mindful of supporting the instructors and the venues that we love so that they can come back, right. you know, when, when this is all possible to do again. Yeah. I think that's my concern for the local community is that while I know there's a good solid core group of dancers who they're staying in touch, they miss dance. And I'm sure when we open our doors again, are, are going to come right. and want to see one another and want to dance again. There are a number of people who I think we're going to lose either because of financial concerns. They just weren't that hooked on dance to begin with. And maybe they found another hobby in the meantime while they've been at home. Right. Or they're just worried about infectious diseases in general, if not coronavirus, just the fact that social dancing is a high risk activity for infectious disease, I think may yeah. turn some people off from a hobby like that. Yeah. But I do think that just based on my own experience building a community in San Francisco, that it will happen again. That, like you said, communities will grow again over time. We all love dance for so many reasons. And I think those same reasons are, will still be true and will still draw people in. But I think you're right that it will require growth of the local communities to feed those events over time again. So I know this is kind of a trying time. There's a lot of stress, a lot of uncertainty. What gives you hope right now? Well, I think that's a great question. I think that we all need hope to keep going. And I think there are several things that give me hope. One is, you know, in spite of all the craziness in the world, I think it is amazing just how many people I have in my own life. And I think everybody I know has kind of experienced this who are reaching out to each other, who are checking in with each other, who are trying to help each other. I mean, you know, in, in times like this, you, you see the worst of people and you also see the best of people. And I am just seeing some amazing ways that people are connecting and caring about each other and sharing new ways of doing things and checking to make sure that people who they know about who might be struggling are are taken care of or that people are, you know, are, are checking in and caring with or listening to them or seeing that they have resources that they might need. I, I just I just think that's incredibly moving. And I have to say also just the first responders I know and the medical professionals that I know and the teachers I know and the parents I know who are all just being heroes every day, just going out and like, I got to I got to make sure that, you know, my patients are taken care of or I've got to make sure that my kids are taken care of or I've got to, you know, do lesson plans for all the kids I used to teach in school. And now they're getting together online and trying to keep keep going or 
you know, I mean, or all the people who have posted their, you know, 18 year old prom pictures for the poor high school kids who don't get a prom this year. I mean, it's like, so that gives me hope. And the other thing is, this is going to sound really weird and maybe a little twisted, but right now I'm, I'm watching a TV series on PBS that the timing is just kind of weird, but it's called World on Fire. And it's uh, set during World War II. And it's kind of following a, a bunch of characters in England, France, Germany, Poland, different nationalities who are all experiencing this tsunami of the Nazis who kind of took over all of Europe. And I mean, we're just the worst of the worst. I mean, they were enslaving people. They were rounding people up for concentration camps. One of the themes of this show is that there's a little girl who has epilepsy. She's targeted because, you know, they had theories about, you know, weaker people should be eliminated to strengthen the race. I mean, just all kinds of horrors. And so however bad I may think I may have it now, it's like those people live through a hell of a lot worse. Yeah. And I mean, so perspective. Right. And it's amazing that we're all here at all, considering what people went through 75 years ago when that happened. And there have been other examples of that, but that's probably like the one that everybody knows about. So, I mean, you know, we'll get through this. Yeah, I agree. I think that there's been a lot of community building a lot of reaching out to people. Maybe it started at first because people needed to be connected, but I think it's continuing because people genuinely enjoy the connection. They generally, genuinely are concerned for other people's well-being. And I know for myself, a lot of those kind of weaker relationships, the ones that are kind of a casual acquaintances or people I don't talk to very often, we're talking much more. So mm-hmm. I think that's been awesome. And I've been seeing a lot of that in our dance community as well. And I think whether people watch shows about Nazi Germany or Nazi <laughs> Europe or not, I think this whole situation has given us a lot of perspective, right? The loss of dance, the loss of our, our friends and family or being able to see them has kind of shifted our perspective about what's important right now. And I think Mm-hmm. While the, the circumstances are certainly not desirable, I think the opportunity and the benefit is a great thing. So I want to thank you for sharing your perspective and your insights. I wish you all the best, and I, I hope we stay in touch. Absolutely. I'll certainly be staying in touch about Mission City Swing <laughs> and, of course, Boogie by the Bay because it's still my favorite event. So I, I hope that that will, whether it's this year or next or whenever, resume and that people go out and support that event. But thank you so much for your time, Andy. Well, thank you, Eric. And thanks for doing this. I appreciate Andy's candidness about where things stand with Boogie by the Bay. He's being practical and thoughtful about how to proceed, and he's already thinking about how to adapt the event when it happens next. Like Lauren, he's also thinking about ways to engage and evolve people who cannot attend the event, which is a great way to take advantage of newly adopted online learning tools and just to be more inclusive in general. More importantly, I think it's great that Andy is putting the health of our community first, erring on the cautious side. The fact of the matter is that this virus will not be going away anytime soon, and as Andy said, until we have a readily available treatment or vaccine, gathering people together from all parts of the world for a high-contact activity like social dancing is really just too risky. Dancing is important, but this is literally a matter of life or death for members of our community. So I'm glad to hear that Andy, along with Lauren and Dirk, are all thinking about ways to not only protect the health of our community from coronavirus, but how to improve their events so we can keep people healthy from all infectious diseases in the future. But what do you think? What did you think of how these event directors are responding to the pandemic? 
What changes would you like to see to protect our dancers and improve the safety of our events? Will you go back to events once dancing resumes, or will you wait to see what happens with events? And what will you do differently to protect your own health and that of others when we get back to dancing? Share your thoughts on this episode with me and your fellow listeners. You can post a comment on our website, you can respond to our posts on Facebook, or you can share your thoughts in our discussion group on Facebook. You can also email me at thenakedtruthwcs.com or through our Facebook page. To get the latest news, you can like our page on Facebook, subscribe to our weekly email newsletter, follow us on Instagram at thenakedtruthwcs, and yeah, you can follow us on Twitter at nakedtruthwcs and Please ignore all the other craziness that's happening in the Twitterverse. Don't forget, this podcast is here to help our community stay connected, so please share your pandemic experience with me and our other listeners. Go to thenakedtruthwcs.com slash COVID for instructions on how to contact me. That's thenakedtruthwcs.com slash C-O-V-I-D. And please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. Again, all of our episodes are available from the very first one for you to catch up, re-listen, and share with someone new. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review on Facebook. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please rate us and give us a review over on Apple Podcasts. More importantly, please be safe, healthy, and well. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Eric, and that's The Naked Truth. One, one question though: Are yeah. you are you videotaping this, or are you just doing no, audio? No, just audio. Okay, so I don't have to worry about what I'm doing here. So if I'm no. drinking coffee in the middle of this, you don't care. Yeah, no, I don't record Perfect. video. Um, it's all just right. easier to like see somebody's face. That's all. I, I I still drink caffeine all day long. That's one that's thing that fine. hasn't changed. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I can't really do it after like two, or I have trouble sleeping at night. I've I've never had that never had that problem. Obviously, <laughs> I don't drink a lot, so a little goes a long way with me. All right.